0: listening to CLNS Media powered by betonline.ag go to clnsmedia.com/roll use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit
1: Welcome to an audio edition of the Garden Report podcast and today well today is kind of my day because it's the off season and what does my day mean it means i'm going to talk NBA history a little bit of ABA I'm going to do that get off my lawn, old man stuff. Never thought I'd be (laughs) compared Ty when I started working. That's Ty Ray's laugh you hear there. When I started working with Ty, he always said it. Never thought I'd be saying it, but I'm saying it now too. Get off my lawn because Bob Ryan is in the house and Ty Ray and I spent a good half hour just chatting NBA history. Okay, we're joined now by the legendary scribe, Bob Ryan Ty Ray. Bob Ryan on the phone with us. You and I are always going back and forth about NBA history versus today. Well, we we have the man, we have the Hall of Famer on the line with us now. Bob, what's going on?
2: Well, it's going on. That's, uh, I'm enjoying my, my summer. I'm, I'm digesting all this incredible NBA turmoil, Oof. and uh, and you know that's that getting getting ready for a baseball All Star game. But but uh, that's that I'm I'm doing fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about NBA explosions, right? Uh, Kawhi caused an earthquake. Uh, The NBA is, uh, uh, people are saying, positioned in a a great way, you know, moving forward with with the player movement. I don't know that I totally agree, but we're more here to get your opinion. uh, And we'll go towards that. But first, we want to look back because Mm -hmm. Ty and I are constantly having arguments on Twitter, you know, with all our best friends over there uh, Mm -hmm. about – you know, history versus today, and it got me thinking. ABA NBA, right? Merger happened what year, Bob? 76? Seventy-six
2: at in Hyannis, oh. Massachusetts. That it was consummated at the in, at the NBA meetings uh, at, in Hyannis, Massachusetts.
1: How about that? Uh, Ty, yeah. it was like Versailles. The meeting Versailles, <laughs> that I was. I me, was, but...
2: you know, I was there covering it, and, and we got more than we bargained for.
0: Oh well, Bob. What's interesting to me is you talk to people about the ABA, especially people who don't remember the history, and they act as if it was like the XFL or the WFL or some you know, or the USFL, like it was some you know fleeting league. It was around for a friggin' decade, uh, and it influences influences basketball today.
2: It does, in in different ways, both on and off the court. Statistically, it does, because the ABA kept track of block shots officially in steals, which the NBA did not, uh, for example. And, of course, the three-point shot, which I know we're going to get into uh, at some length. But, uh, yes, the league came into being in 1966, uh, and it, it did... Fluctuate over the years in, in, in uh, with franchises and uh, the the late lamented Anaheim Amigos uh, in less salvage. I remember sque- making 3 pointers, which we thought was just <laughs> unimaginable. I mean, I, and I gave birth to one of my. I, I was a box score freak in the old days when and 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 my one of my favorite box scores of the day, which of course has been exceeded several times over, was John Roach went eight oh twenty four. I just freaked out at that. I just like, that you know? so. <laughs> Um, but the anyway, the it comes into being, and, and they raved the NBA. And Rick Barry is a is a prominent uh, 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 um, you know prize as is Billy Cunningham, Joe Caldwell. They played on the same team and and Carolina and 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 Tudelmo, Beatty and uh, others. So uh, Artis Gilmore and, Moses, right? Moses? Uh, well, I'm not talking about the guys that jumped. Artis ah, started gotcha, out as gotcha. an ABA player. Gotcha. They had their, they developed their own stars who are now in the Hall of Fame. We'll get to that too, but. Um, um, it, it, it was viable. Uh, competitively, they were better than people thought, and when the teams, uh, when, in the early 70s, when, when the exhibition games began, uh, most of we smug, and count myself in on this, NBA types figured that we'll show those guys. And I know if you check the record, you will see that there was astonishing parody in those NBA, NBA, ABA All-Star Games. Not, not uh, All-Star Games. Not All-Star Games. Excuse me. NBA, ABA Exhibition Games. I've seen many of them. <laughs>
0: and, and, and Bob, Bob, Nick wasn't aware that there were these Exhibition Games, right? And I oh my told God, him. That's how
2: I, that's how I got to meet Larry Brown. and. And Doug Mo uh, in Carolina. Yeah. there. Doug Mo was Larry Brown's assistant with the Carolina Cougars, and Carl shear uh, was the was the cheese down there, and he was, of course, had been been prominent in Buffalo, and 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 I knew him from the NBA. Uh, oh my God, uh, uh, I covered. Uh, Games there. I, I saw ABA exhibition games, and and, and uh, well, I could go on and on. But uh, and Memphis. That's where I read, Rudy Page. Woody Page was covering the <laughs> Memphis, whatever they were then, whether they were the Tams or the um, uh, uh, pros. I don't remember that year. But Babe McCarthy was the coach. Johnny Newman was the star, and and. Uh, Woody Page was covering for the uh, uh, local paper in Nashville, and, and, and we met in 1973, so we've known each other for 46 years. Uh, and, uh, oh yeah, they, they were that was a big deal, those NDA-ABA exhibition games.
0: And they were intense. I was telling Nick that Tommy and Dave Cowens both got thrown out of exhibition <laughs> games.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, Dave not. Cowens... Famously uh, punted the ball up into the upper second. <laughs> was it the, uh,
1: was it the ABA was ball or, or the NBA ball?
2: That was, in, that was an ABA ball because it was obviously <laughs> the game was played on their near, near, uh, court. Oh, yeah. And Dave Cowens broke his foot in, in Asheville, North Carolina. This is a great one, Only not we, Dave Cowens? He's in an exhibition game. And, and next, again, Fatty Taylor stole the ball. And, and instead of letting <laughs> him go, Dave chases him down and blocks the shot and then crashes into the superstructure of the basket and breaks his foot and misses the first 17 games of the uh. 1974-75 <laughs> season. And, and um, uh, yes, uh, the, and I, I remember the first time the Celtics played the Nets in, in the Island Garden in Hemp, West Hempstead and lost on a Rick Barry banked three-pointer. And I remember being astonished that Billy Paltz, the whopper, had held his own against <laughs> Dave Cowens. I just couldn't get over it.
1: <laughs> well, Dave, Dave is your guy, Bob. I think that Dave Cowens, and wish I'm a little too young, Tight. it's more your era no, than mine. Mike. But when I see highlights, I think kind of like uh, way ahead of his time, right? He could, yeah, there's he could nobody rebound, like dribble there's the no full
2: style. court. Yeah, there's no style of quite like him. He was an incredibly aggressive rebounder and a uh, uh, run ran the court relentlessly. And, right. But he had he had a, a face-up jumper. Uh, he had the he had the good jump hook. He had the hook and the jump hook. Uh, he had no right hand whatsoever. None. Uh, he was Incredible. everything was left. It went was uh, went over his right shoulder every single time. Uh, except whoa, he had a spin move though. He had a spin <laughs> move that he worked in and uh, that's the only time he went uh the other way he went and and it was a it was a, and he he timed it so that as he was receiving the entry pass he was already making his move over his left shoulder and and he killed people with that spin move and then came and usually ended up by dunking right-handed on the other side of the basket and uh that was his only move that in that to to, to the, in that direction every otherwise everything else was right to left 6'9 well,
1: foot
0: nine?
2: Six eight and a half, Six nine. muscular uh a white leaper uh, yep. In fact, Kenny Hudson, I've I, I put this in many pub times over the years, Kenny Hudson, a, a black referee, and he became a good friend of mine um, in the league, told me that uh, Cowans uh, was getting fouls called on him because the referees couldn't get used to the white guy jumping that high. This is from a <laughs> <black> <laughs> ref- now, the other thing is he was so incredibly uncommonly aggressive that as a rookie in 1970-71, he fouled out of 15 games and he committed 350 personal fouls. Ty, <laughs> the next year he cut that out and he never had anything remotely like that again. He immediately learned how to play with five fouls. That's an art, It's a dying lost art could, yeah. They won't even let guys do it now because they get two fouls in the first half and they come out, which was ridiculous yep. in those days. Nobody did that. John McCloud started that, by the way, the great and wonderful John, gentleman. John McCloud, right. He's the first person to start a pulling guys with two fouls in the first half. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> and, when, when he was a Phoenix? Or, well, it had to be Phoenix, yeah, not Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, yeah. we're digressing from the
1: ABA. That's, That's all right. A, I keep going, Bob, Bob, I'm, Bob. I'm smiling ear to ear, Bob. Bob, to your, point,
0: to your point about fouls, in those ABA ex- NBA exhibition games, there was no limit, was there, to fouls.
2: I don't recall if they abrogated the six foul thing or not. I, that's You may be right, I don't recall that. <laughs> Could you imagine no fouls? The only time place I know where they went, you know, that the, they fooled around with that was in college when the Big East went to six fouls, which was a disaster. And, you Could know, you
1: imagine and, LeBron James today with no fouls? I mean, he's already honest. Yeah. They spend the majority of the time on the line.
2: Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's hard to imagine, yeah. But uh, the games were incredibly competitive. They meant so much to the ABA, and the NBA guys got sobered up they had to realize hey these guys mean business and of course you know ultimately when the merger was done uh and uh and the four teams came in they all did quite well uh, and a a, a couple of them did very well and you know the the proof of their pudding was the 1977 all-star game which was a milestone in the history of the sport 10 of the 24 players had ABA roots that's and, incredible. And, uh, that, 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 that 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 you talk to guys like Larry Brown, you talk to guys like Al Bianchi, you talk to guys uh, uh, like Hubie Brown, who coached the championship Kentucky right. Colonels, and they will beam with pride about that, that. That to them that vindicated what they've been telling people all along that they could they had they had good basketball.
0: Were you sad to see the ABA go?
2: Well, I I was. No, yeah, I like the idea of the uh, of, of the extra world. It gave me, you know, more things to cover, really. In a sense, I actually made, once made a trip. You'll love this one, guys. I once made a trip. I, it, I was on a Celtic road trip, and as so we're um, flying out to Chicago, we're we we we're, we're stopping in Chicago on our way to Omaha. This is during the uh, you know the, the Kansas City Kings uh, uh, Omaha uh, uh, days, and um, uh, I, I I noted that the Bulls were playing the Knicks in Chicago and I asked the trainer to pull my bag off, and I was going to get off, and I got off, and I went into a, and covered the game just to hanging around with the, the Knicks in Chicago. Well, what I'm getting at is this. It was the start of six games in six nights in six different oh states in two different leagues. <laughs> and uh, and uh, in addition to the Celtic games, I went to uh, the ABA games in both Salt Lake City and Denver. And uh, uh, in between my travels with the Celtics. And, and I remember, I'll never forget walking into uh, Salt Lake City, and, and um, uh, Larry Brown said talked about this 19-year-old kid for the Utah Stars named uh, uh, Moses Malone. And <laughs> Bob, he said, Bob, he's the greatest offensive rebounder I've ever seen in my life. Now, this is the heyday of my revered friend, Paul Silas, who
0: yeah, was the right. reigning...
2: He was the reigning gold standard of offensive rebounders in the NBA at six seven, and here is was here this you know very respected coach telling me that the nineteen year old kid was the best offensive rebounder he'd ever seen in his life, uh, stuff like that you can't forget.
0: You know, it's also fun. Bob is I, I had the pleasure of covering the Nuggets for five years. I worked in Denver from two thousand to two thousand five. Dan Issel was the head coach, and I ran into John McLeod while I was there, and that was it was so much fun because the Nuggets still have ABA roots. Oh, you yeah. can still feel it when you're there, really? and you talk. Oh, absolutely. How when you so. talk to fans, no, when you well, talk to fans, and it feels like an ABA city to me. Well, it doesn't. Why?
2: Like, as much as like that's true, city. it doesn't even touch the the ABA city of them all to this day. That where the where the and that's and that's Indianapolis. That where they had multiple championships. And they were guys the dynasty, like right? Bob yeah. Nedellicki and 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 uh, Louis Damp No, no, sorry. Bob Nedellicki and uh, Don Boosie. And, and Mel Daniels, and Roger Brown, uh, they, they, and when they built uh, uh, the, what is now... You know what? I don't even know the name of the building. Farmer's is it Life? Canseco? Is what it was Canseco <laughs> yeah, originally, big? when they built it, which, by the way, is the best building built for basketball in the last 50 years. Nobody's built a better basketball. Nobody plays hockey there, right? I mean, well, it's usually... no, no. And that's oh. the best building for basketball for all kinds. Of, and when you go around in the concourse there, when you take yourself on a tour, you, there's as much homage paid to the ABA days mm-hmm. and to high school basketball... In, in college as it was to the NBA. The NBA's like, yeah, they are tenants here too, but, you know, don't, get, don't think it's all about them. And the ABA <laughs> is still more revered in Indianapolis than in any other city.
1: Are the banners still hanging? I, I know in Canseco that the banners were know. hanging in Conseco, But,
2: you know, they were, the goal, they were the most successful team. They had the worst, as I recall, they had the most championships over the course of time in those 10 years. So what, uh,
1: like, okay, cha- champ- nothing transferred over, right? Championships really didn't transfer over. No, so nothing, Indiana nothing still showed
2: zero. In, Nothing no, 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 Of course not. And uh, it, it took a long time for for the final recognition to come. Now, the first grudging recognition was adopting their statistics. Well, and then then you know then the three point shot, it took three more years before the three-point shot came in. We can get into that in a second. Yep. And, and, um, but originally but the, but the NBA did not keep track of offensive rebounds, did not keep track of of, of uh, uh, block shots individual teams did. And, and, you know, casually, but not officially. Right. And they did not keep track of steals. Those are all things that were brought in permanently in the and statistic keeping by uh, the uh, the merger. So guys
1: like why uh, Dr. J. comes to mind to me. And, uh, who would be most impacted after the merger? You know, as you're getting into the eighties and they're getting ready to retire when their numbers are all said and done, mm. who do you look back at and say, man, they didn't get their due on paper?
2: Oh, well, that's very good. That's a very good question. I guess I'm going on on anecdotal evidence. I'd have to say Roger Brown. I, I, uh, people mm. there of all the ABA stars, uh, um, I think is the most, uh, you know, maybe not appreciated one historically for uh, because a lot of guys are getting their due. They're in the Hall of Fame. Mel Daniels has made it. And you know, of course, artists artists made it and as much for his ABA as for anything As his NBA. NBA. Yeah. And, and of course, Issel's different. Issel was a crossover who was a star in both, both leagues. One of my all-time favorite players, really. But uh, um, but I think Roger Brown probably. I mean, maybe I'm, um, uh, you know, because some of the guys were overlapping. You know, Rick Barry, uh, of course, went back to the NBA. He
1: went back and forth, right? And
2: and went back and forth. And Billy Cunningham went back, although his career ended abruptly with an awful knee injury, which yeah. was way too soon. But uh, Billy was a truly great player. Uh, and of course, one of the great human beings that the league has produced as well. Great coach but, too, right? And a fine coach, but he had a good sense to know what he didn't know. You know, at first, you know, his first move was when he was named coach. His first <laughs> move was to was to uh, uh, go get Chuck Daly as a as a. a well, uh,
1: that that was pretty as, and, smart. And he also
2: he had the one of the all time NBA wonderful people ever, Jack uh, Jack McMahon. Uh, yep. So he had the wise old heads, you know, uh, in helping him out, and, and and he learned from them as well.
1: Where was Daly prior to that? Was Daly? Where was she prior to that?
2: He was. He was at Penn. was. It was. Well, yeah, it, it was uh, you know, he had gone through, his first head coaching job was at Boston College in '69. He was there two years. He got the Penn job, succeeding Dick Harder, and uh, took over that Harder had started the, with. You know, a wonderful run for Penn, and uh, and kept it going and, and uh, a n- number of years, and and um, and then finally uh, he took this uh, opportunity to get into the NBA, and you know, eventually got his own job in Cleveland, which didn't go very well and I'll never forget Chuck Daly at the NBA meetings, uh, circa 1982, I guess. And, um, he's, uh, Bobby at a hotel that the, the, um, Century Plaza in LA. And we're talking, we're old friends. We're talking literally now he's standing behind the potted palm as if in some kind of 40 hour movie. And he says to me, <laughs> he says to me, who, who's going to hire? I'm 50. he was at that point he was approaching or hit 50. And he said, who's going to hire me? What am I going to do? And that's, this is the Chuck Daly who later became the Dream Team.
1: Uh, Unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I mean, life is just full of stuff like
1: that. Uh, uh, Billy Cunningham, I, re- I don't, obviously don't remember as a player. I remember him slightly as a coach. But my my real remem- memory is him replacing Tommy on the national broadcasts. So I was devastated. All of a sudden, <laughs> the, the Celtics went from being uh, Homer on CBS to it being uh, Philly homers because you had Stockton well, and, and, and know, Cunningham.
2: That's okay, you know. But Billy, Billy was uh, a <laughs> Billy, he was a smart investor, you know, originally. He got on the ground floor of the Heat, and when they got sold, you know, Billy cashed in, and he's living a good life playing golf and and Florida (laughs) and and relaxing, and you don't have to worry where his next meal's coming from, I'll tell you Uh,
0: that. He had the right idea. Uh, Bob, it's the three-point shot. Yeah, here we did go. You ever, did you ever think, watching the games back in the in the seventies, those ABA games, those classic games, that the three point shot would make its impact on the NBA? Here we are, fifty years later. It's changed the game, and is it ever going to go back? Is the the NBA ever going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle? I no, hope the so. interest,
2: I I would say it's impossible. The the people love it, and and now the strategy is is, is fixed. Everyone subscribes to the theory. Uh, I saw. I, I've seen it this week in in discussions about players, uh, specifically in Boston, Jason Tatum uh, and yep. Bob, uh, the, the the second year center from and and the idea is they they cringe when they take a long two, you know. And I used to say that the uh, the thing I hate most of hearing in basketball is the worst basketball is the long two. <laughs> you now that's a Daryl Moreyism, you know, Daryl Morey takeover of the uh, of the uh, NBA. And it's not going back, okay? So And it's, it's permeated the entire game and, uh, and, and, and every level, right down to eight-year-old kids cranking up threes. And, Absolutely. You know, oh, America. my God. And Steph Curry, I'm being told, in a, you know, in a benign way, is the worst thing that's ever happened to basketball in that regard because everyone wants to be Steph Curry. And and, yeah, and, 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 and very few are ever going to be Steph Curry. You know. That's but, right. Yeah. <laughs> now, as far as the influences, check out the numbers. It was so slow in catching on. Yep. And and, and, and is reached up towards of four and five years into the adoption of it in an NBA teams were taking fewer than one hundred three points a season. Uh, I know the Lakers and the I challenge you the Lakers and the Hawks. Look at some of the numbers uh, 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 that they put up in the in the first five years of the league in terms of refusing to acknowledge the existence of, of the three. Uh, it didn't take over right away, and and, and it was still within under control. Up to, you know, I don't the 90s. know, five, six, seven, seven, eight years ago. It's, yes. all, it's all exploded in the last six, seven, eight years. Uh, yes. To the point where, where it's it's to be all and end all. You know, and it's just, uh, you know, the whole game is out layup, get fouled, or take a three. And, you know, and it's so routine now that people come down on three-on-one, four-on-one, and don't even think about going for a layup. I mean, it's just amazing. But you, uh, you look know, at
1: guys that's... like, jo- Bob, you look at guys like Jordan... Bird, I mean, obviously Bird shot the three, but it was not, I mean, if he shot five in a game or six Larry, in a game, down. it was
2: not If he right? five in a game, right. Uh, Larry used it strategically. He didn't like the three, he said, at the time, for two reasons. <laughs> One is, no, seriously. One was that he thought that at that point... In time, referees were too often getting it wrong. They were calling threes, twos, and twos, threes. Right. Didn't think, and there was no replay. You know, obviously no right. visual backup. And that was number two. Was he? He? Now this is Larry. See, this is why we we love. Larry <laughs> didn't think that if you were down, that that you should get uh, be able to win a game or, or or go take a late lead with a three as opposed to a two. We thought that was somehow cheating the game. That was not right. That wasn't the way. And it yet
1: was he would do it
2: though. Yeah, well, sure, but he didn't philosophically didn't like right. it. It, right. it defended his moral sensibility. But of course, if he did, if he had to do it, he did it. But remember, Larry's, Larry. made the first three in an All Star game, by the way, in nineteen eighty in, in, in uh, Washington, uh, left corner. I can see it. Larry made a three to put away game six in nineteen eighty one in in, in uh, Houston. That, that yep. was the clinching basket. Uh, Larry, Larry. Larry. You know, Larry was. And Larry used the three as a weapon uh, better in his time for the first in the first five, six, seven years more better than anybody. But, but if he had
1: used it as an essential part of his game,
2: it, it, how it many more points
1: would he have scored?
2: Well, in, in today's game, you know, Larry would be, you know, Larry, Larry would say, "Oh, well, that's what you want, man. I'll do it." You know, and he'd take, yep. a, he'd take twelve or thirteen a game, and or more, and and he would score. You know, he'd average thirty because he would be averaging twenty-five or eight without right. it. He'd, he'd average thirty, which he never did. Average thirty. Oh, yeah, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd adapt to the game, but uh, that's not the way the game was was played then at all. And, but I um, think it,
1: it's comparable, Bob, when you're talking to younger fans who will say, well, look at how many, how many more points this person scored, or I mean, they immediately go to that. And I look at, okay, well, you know, first of all, they're coming out earlier. Uh, and secondly, the, the three-point shot just wasn't a vital part of the game. Jordan, I think, would have scored 40 a game.
2: Well, you know, had that home. famous game uh, playoff game against Portland when he, you know, when he was so hot in the first half, and he had that famous that that shrug to the hey man, what can I yes. do? You know, he looked at the yep. poor scores table after like the yep. six one of the first half. Oh yeah, um, you know, you, I just laugh at, at at the point totals now in terms of uh, when I look at the three and and the distortion of the box scores that I used to love. You know, we can talk about that in a second. But um, the um, uh, well, I was gonna, oh, I was going to say. I always love to point out to people, Pistol Pete, A, averaged 44 points a game over a three year college career without the three, and B, once had a 68 point game in Madison Square Garden without the three. And he That's had three point range, I assure you. And, you know, I there have been, I do think, am I not right that, that they've tried to reconstruct from available uh, the footage of, of LSU games? And, and then make an estimate and, and, and make an attempt at estimating what he might have averaged if he could have, if he had to three, I think someone's tried to do that.
1: I think and, I've and, seen that somewhere. And earlier, I like think 50. he might
2: have averaged close to 50 points a game. 50.
1: Like yeah. I saw that. I saw, I don't, it's just, it's hard to, to get that point across to, to younger people. I, I do I, I live right by a, a basketball court, two full court basketball courts here in Boston. I go over and watch them and, these kids, all they do is shoot threes. I'm like, dude, you, you don't know. Like, this is not good, you right? Like, so there's no back to the basket. There's oh. no no game like that. Whatsoever. And that was my favorite part, as you know. Oh. We've talked about this.
2: To the me. Kareem,
1: McHale, Parrish, those guys.
2: To me, as a player, as a 6'1 white guy, the last of the great 6'1 white centers, you know? And, and <laughs> if it, you're, there, there was nothing more fun than posting up. Right. Kicking somebody's ass in a low post is the most fun that you can have on a basketball court. I always thought... <laughs> And and you know I, oh uh, you know I, I still I, think. we have no balance. I, I, can't we get some balance restored in the game? That's all I'm looking for. I want some balance.
0: Is there anything awesome. that makes you cringe more than watching Joel Embiid launch a three?
2: <laughs> it's just well, it's it's, it's, it's Aaron Baines there's, there's worse. Maybe? But you know, but I'll tell you the most. But, you, but I'll give somebody credit for. You talk about adapting, you know, and and, and Brooks Lopez. Look at oh, yes,
0: yeah, he resurrected his career. Yeah, I,
2: I discovered this um, last year, and I, I was doing something, and I, and I looked up his number. I was writing a story on the threes, and somehow, I don't know, and I realized the man barely took, barely took any at all, literally, in the first six, seven years of his career, barely took any at all, and I bet any one he did take was at the end of the quarter, you know, a desperation thing, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. then... He said, Well, this is the way we are going to be. Then what's so I going to do? And now he is a major three point threat. Uh, he, he went from nothing at all to leading his team in attempts yes, in, yes. In, in over a year. Of, I don't know if it was back to back years, but within a two year span. Uh, that's for sure. And look what that's what he does now. That's what he does. He's like all the other big guys now, and, and he's damn good at it. And, and I give him credit to- for making himself into, you know, I give him credit for
1: it. Horford, similar, reinvented his oh, yeah, game.
2: Al's- Al's uh, got that nice little... Here's what I love about Al. Al's is a set shot. Ugh, <laughs> Al's right. a little tippy-toe set shot. <laughs> there was not much lift on Al's 3. You take no. a look at that. It's a nice old... Tippy-toed set shot like Chris Ford. The first three-point Chris shot Ford. ever. Let the world let the world know. Rec- uh, the first NBA three-point shot, chronologically, was Chris Ford on opening night in 1979. He drifted into the right corner on a break, and he set his feet and got the pass, and took a deep breath and and recited a couple of verses of, of a famous <laughs> song, and he, and he and he made a one-hand set. One-handed. And that was, and that was oh, a one-hand set. You know, and that was his shot in college. That was his shot with the Pistons. Well, it was still his shot, and now it's counting three instead of two.
1: That's incredible. And then you talk about where is Chris Ford now?
2: Uh, he's living in uh, greater Atlantic City where he grew up and where he loves of Margate, New Jersey. I saw him at John Halvacek's funeral. And uh, he, uh, uh, he's, you know, contended my well, – Chris Ford, one of my all-time favorite guys in the league because he was uh, the most – as normal a person – as, as I've ever met in, in coaching uh, in, in, in all the years I've uh, you know, covered uh, four sports, uh, he was like your next-door neighbor. Oh, just by the way, when he left work, he happened to go coach the Boston Celtics. Uh, it was a normal, <laughs> it was a good, you know, I mean, most of them, just a, as much as you can be friendly with them, there's a, little, there's a them and an us factor that, that is inherent, but it was not there with Chris Ford.
1: But back, in your, back when you were on the beat, I mean, you you chilled with these guys. I mean, they were more accessible than they are now. You got to Oh, know yeah, them. the
2: whole world was different. Soldiers. I mean, when i, I mean, I, you knew people. I mean, I'm not saying you know people don't have. I a Smith's got a Rolodex or whatever. You know, he's got a, he's got a contacts and he can get the head. I'm sure, and, 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 and he's. I'm not so you can get relationships today, but very few people can do that, and he can do it because he's got a network connection, and, and, and he's, he's himself. He's a special, so he's so he's generous. God knows. But in general terms, the average beat guy and I, you know, the average beat person in the in the NBA today will never. Ever have the mo- as much fun and satisfaction in yep. uh, the whole scope of the doing the job as we had in those days, uh, for a variety of reasons between the travel conditions, the socialization, and the um, the, the the technology that has overwhelmed everybody and made it a twenty four seven three sixty five job, and you don't even have an off season and you don't have a nope. minute's peace. And and uh, you know we had real off seasons. And, and, and anyway, and we also, but we also had real relationships and, and, uh, and I don't think there are too many of them available to people today.
1: No, there's a general feeling of, uh, I think there's a, a, as there should be a guarded feeling, but there's a, a, there seems to be a overtone of the media is the enemy. I don't know if that's politics invading sports or whatever, but uh, there seems to be that swirling is, around uh, all the time
2: no question about it. It's a them us. It's, a, it's, a, it's an adversary thing. It wasn't... You know, you always wanted to do your job. You had to be skeptical. I mean, God knows I had my run-ins. Tommy Heinsohn and I had... <laughs>
1: I know um, you and Tommy,
2: right? <laughs> Tommy and I, you know, we're, good. we're friends. We're very friendly now. He did my podcast not long ago. I was we're there. Friends. I got a Tom Heinsohn painting hanging in my living room. We got along fine, you know, but at the time, in the heat of the battle, I had to do my job, and he had to defend himself, and, and we were at odds about the policy, frankly. And, uh, you know, about stuff. And I had relationships with the players, which I think he really resented. And, and okay, you know, but we worked. And when he, when he quit, or when he, you know, he actually got fired and everything. Got fired, and, right. Um, you know, we, it took a – we were fine. All right. So uh, we, I, I had those, those – but the, I'll give you an example. My favorite example, but the, it was a giant fraternity. It included everybody, included the referees, included the trainers. Here's the story. We are traveling – we, the Celtics party, are traveling east to west – uh, for start of, um, a West Coast trip, and believe it or not, no charter. Of course, forget that. And not only aren't we chartering, we're not even getting a direct flight. We are changing planes in Chicago. So we change planes in Chicago, and we're we got time to kill. We had a couple hours kill, and we're walking down a corridor, and there's a bunch of very very tall people coming in the opposite direction. It's the Phoenix Suns who are going west to east, and they are changing planes in Chicago. And we all have nothing to do, and everybody piles into the bar. And I mean all the players, all the trainers, all the coaches, all the broadcasters, all the writers. It was like a fraternity meeting. That was the NBA in the 70s. Was there –
1: there uh, there had to be a bit of, you know, sacred. Okay, so you're spending this time with them. You had to have – they had to know that you were not going to repeat what
2: was going on or whatever. There had to be that feeling of trust. You had to establish – uh, a relationship based on trust, and, and, and that you understood what was printable and not printable, and you understood what the, when, when you heard things in the locker room and when you had conversations with people, uh, and, you, and, and, you, and they understood that you might get a piece of information and hold on to it for a while until uh, the, down the road it would not be traced back to them right. or the time would be right and you could use it, that you knew how to do that. It takes time to develop that trust. And I believe I developed that trust for the most part, and and and, and, and as such, I consider that you know I, I'm a human being, and not, not everybody can do this and, and and be comfortable. I agree. I'm a human being first. A you know. And then I was a writer second, and and uh, I, yeah, I was partial to some people who were nice to me, and uh, but I had a lot of good relationships. I mentioned Silas. I mentioned uh, Cowens. I met uh, Havlicek, of course. Uh, uh, Don Nelson uh, was you know out there. Uh, Lighten up something right now, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and you know, there's no doubt. I mean, oh wait a minute, it's only oh, it's probably well, maybe in another hour or two he'll get up and light something up, and you know. But I mean, these are people that I would consider. You know, I'd be very friendly with Paul Westfall, who I'm Paul who's Westfall. Hall of Fame, whose Hall of Fame uh, induction I'm looking very much forward to in in, in September. Overdue. Yeah, we had, but I, I when I had to criticize, I criticized, and, and they understood it came from. You know, fairness you know, the word. It's not objectivity. That's nonsense. It's no such a thing. It's—it's yeah. it's fairness. You know, because yeah. everything you, you you choose to report or write is objective, quote unquote. You're making decisions on every word you utter, on every word you write, and every thing. But how—but how are you fair? and and that—that's—and you hope that they agree that you're fair, and that they don't always do that. Tommy sure didn't, and for a while. And—and uh, and, you know, that's life. You gotta get—you know—you gotta get over that, and you gotta well, show up. That's the other well, thing. You gotta show up.
0: Bob, can you indulge, indulge me just for one second? You mentioned yep. Paul Westfall, and one of my great childhood memories is watching uh, the Game 5 of the Suns and Celtics in 76 on my 12-inch black-and-white TV. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Al McCoy and Glenn McDonald for a special great. podcast we did. I uh, sent send Cleveland. it to Bob. Time. Yeah, that, it was, it was wonderful. What was that event like for you? I was able to talk to them about that night. What was that Game 5 Uh, like for you because even as a 10 year old child watching that was exhausting
2: it was when i'm asked as i frequently am what's your favorite event you ever covered and i say well i can't give you one but i can go sport by sport and the nba uh, uh it is game six in 1975 uh and it was a drama that was building up to that. The Suns weren't supposed to be there. The Suns weren't supposed to be still in the series after four games. It was a, it, 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 was a, it gotten to be a very competitive and exciting series. And now we're at game five in Boston. And the Celtics blow them out in the first 12, 14 minutes. They play the best basketball. They play the entire playoffs. Get up by 22. Should be over. Uh-uh. Sons who are spunky, and they had two rookies who weren't rookies, if you know what I mean Alvin Adams mm. and Ricky Sobers. And they had great vets like uh, uh, Dick Van Arsdale and, and Keith Erickson. And they had Westfall then, you know, in his breakthrough year. Anyway, they, they come back and they make it a game, and, and, and uh, they get back in the game gradually. And then, the third, and then finally, with about three minutes to go, the Celtics get, them, get up by nine and look like they're in control of the game and Westfall brings them back. He makes, I could, everyone remembers the spinning 360 yeah. banker that he made, right? right? <laughs> the spinning 360 banker. And, and he was so athletic and so, and he was really so great that year. And, well, and next five years. Anyway, we get in and all the stuff that happened, you know, the, the Havlicek basket, uh, after that, that was, uh, they thought the game was over, but that cow stemmed, the, stormed the floor, but there was two seconds that needed to be put back on the clock. And then, um, uh, Richie powers, the referee got attacked by a fan or rolling around yes, on yeah. the floor. And, and, <laughs> uh, and, and and then uh, we got Silas calling a timeout he didn't have. And Richie powers, uh, to the, to the, uh, you know, uh, bitterness, uh, uh, it was dying day of Al Bianchi. Uh, uh, uh you know, we can tell that story. Brilliant. Um, is raving it off. You can see him going no. And Richie was asked later about it, and he said I didn't want the game to end that way. Talk about George uh, oh Washington justice, right? So, and then, of course, culminating with after Havlicek's basket, and the clock is restored, and the Celtics are up by by one. Uh, there's two seconds, and Westfall. They need to get the ball advanced. They didn't have. They didn't have a timeout. And the only way they're going to get the ball advanced to mid is if they call a timeout. They don't have. Westfall figures this out. You can see him on the video. He's looking up at the clock. He even went over near the scorer's table and asked them. And he went back, and he's pointing, and he's gesticulating to McLeod. And McLeod goes, okay, they call the timeout they don't have. They get the technical. JoJo White makes the technical. And Mike, just think if he didn't. And now they're up by two. And so the ball gets thrown in, and Garhard hits that moonshot 18-footer. Don't let anybody tell you it would have been a three. It was foul line extended. It wasn't going to be a three. The folklore has you know, progressed over the years. But it was a classic Garhard. He had the second highest arc ever after Purvis Short. He's the all time arc, arc. Oh, champion. yeah. But uh, Garhard was second, not by a whole lot. And he switches that jumper and sends us into the third overtime, the highlight of which, Glenn McDonald, who has been yeah. sitting around minding his own business, you know, the whole night. Uh, after Mel <laughs> Nelson fouls out, uh, Cowans has already fouled out long ago. And, uh, uh, and Kaberski thinks he's going to go in. No, Tommy <laughs> says, Glenn, get in there. He, in one stretch of a minute and some odd seconds, scores six points and turns the ball over and misses a layup. <laughs> but had the biggest basket of the game, a baseline turnaround on the break that was a tough shot. And, and he's, he's got the fresh legs. And then they get up by six. Jim Ard goes after Jim Ard makes two free throws with, with the, who was it, that Sobers, I think, it was grasping him or, or giving him a choke sign. And Ard, Ard makes the two free throws. And then Westfall comes within a fingernail of stealing the ball at midcourt on an in, on a, and, and, and giving the team one more chance. Final score, 128-126, three overtimes. And by the way, the whole elapsed time of the game was three hours and five minutes. Right that today.
0: It ended
2: at 12.08 midnight. It was one of my all-time nights ever. And writing, you know, writing the game to get it and on and them, make the deadline. And then we find out only the next morning, that Tommy Heinsohn collapsed in the locker room after the game. We didn't even know it. Oh, he looked like and, he was going to collapse on the court. Yeah, he was, and so I, I remember is it, that we were getting on the plane the next morning at the airport at 10 o'clock, flight out to Phoenix, and, and, uh, uh, and that the, the, the game six started at noontime or late 11 a.m. Phoenix time. And, and I was talking to uh, Westfall recently about this, and, and, it, and of course, the right phenomenon of that game was that the Phoenix crowd, which had only watched the game on television, was dead. They were emotionally gone, and had gave nothing to their team in that sixth game, and it was a, and both teams naturally were they were uh, you know dead. They had nothing to mm-hmm. offer, uh, but uh, Charlie Scott. Charlie Scott had found out of Game Five in twenty five minutes of, of desultory playing time. After the game, Red Auerbach, This is why Red was Red, among other reasons. Many <laughs> goes up to him and says. Go get your rest. You are going to be very important on Sunday. Well, guess who had 25 points and had uh, and, and had the best game of anybody on either team on Sunday and, and yeah, the game, including uh, Game Six, Charlie Scott. Uh,
1: Charlie Scott. And Who was the MVP? Jojo.
2: Jojo was the well-deserved M- uh, MVP. So Jojo, Jojo jo- jo- jo had West... 33 in the in Game Five, including 15 in the in the overtimes.
1: Westfall, Jojo, DJ, even to a certain extent, Max, Johnny Most. Some of them not in the Hall of Fame. Why is it taking so long for, you know, DJ to get in? He's in now. Westfall just getting in now?
2: Well, Westfall's a controversial will be a controversial choice because of the his greatness was five great years. Yeah, but it you was know, great. Five great years. And look, I wrote the program story. By the mm-hmm. way, so I mean, mm-hmm. I put my hand up immediately because he's one of my favorite, you know, my closest, really legit, legit friend I ever made in the business, mm-hmm. Westfall, and I, um, uh, I was very thrilled and pleased and honored to write his program story. Um, but five great years, and um, you know, he was a sub in Boston, uh, and he, he was traded and uh, for for Charlie, uh, very mm-hmm. interesting trade, uh and, uh, and and then he gave them those five great years, and then he got hurt. He was traded to Seattle, and he hurt his foot, and then Charlie, uh, then. Long story, Sam Shulman wanted to get rid of him because he was angry at his agent, Howard Slusher, because Howard Slusher had held out Gus Williams that whole year, if you remember.
0: Right, that's and true. he took
2: it out on Westfall, got him traded to the Knicks, and he was not healthy. And, and, and Anyway, and it's clear they wound up ending it in Phoenix. But five great years, during which time he was three times all first-team O-NBA, one time, two times 2nd and, and was extraordinarily, uh, it was as good a dynamic of players as it was, in a, and certainly a backcourt player as it was in the league in those days. All right, he, he gets in, he gets into the College Hall of Fame and, and, and the Nesmith Hall of Fame within months of each other, which is very interesting. Uh, DJ, I fought for DJ, screamed and hollered and stamped my foot, and I finally, you know, it finally happened. Uh, Max is a wonderful, solid player, but he does not belong in the Hall of Fame. He's Even on. though he's a
1: uh, uh, NBA, he's the only NBA Finals MVP. He not made, he
2: was, he, yeah, I know he made, He was the NBA uh, and uh, and uh, he was the NBA Finals. Yeah, he, he was the Finals. Well, hey, is dollar going to go in the Hall of Fame? He's an NBA. Fi- you know, he, Max was the 1981 um, MVP. Yes, I voted for him. People think I didn't, but I did. And um, <laughs> somebody voted for uh, Somebody voted for Bird, and everybody thinks it was me, but it wasn't. <laughs> so I voted for him. Uh, but Max, you know, Max, I had. Issues with at times, you know, uh, <laughs> in the end of his career. But boy, when he did what he did well, you know, he was—he's the kind of player of course, We were talking earlier. Doesn't exist anymore because he's just—you know—most yep. of his game was ten feet in.
1: Yep. right. Eighty-four game seven. Another.
2: Oh, that was. Jump on my game. back, boys. Yep. And he yep. and he took he took uh, James Worthy down in the old torture chamber and, and, yep. and, and <laughs> gave him a little lesson.
1: Talk about the choke sign for Magic. That's that's yeah. become iconic oh, from Max him. Oh, Max
2: was hilarious. I mean, he yeah. wasn't it. My Was opinion. he as hilarious as a player? Yes. Oh, yeah. Hilarious Larry, they loved him as a teammate. And, yeah. and, but but he, he didn't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go. I, I don't, don't know. You don't have to. I don't want to go there. I'm not going no, there. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm not going there. Because I, uh, I wanna, Johnny Most. I loved watching him. Oh, my God. A, a fictional character. Uh, yeah. I once actually... Room with him one night and uh, during the oh exhibition season, we,
1: how did you we breathe? And, Were you smoking well, with him or? <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I, I, I don't remember how much he smoked. Uh, but we we talked to, into the night and you know we talked about everything politics. Or, uh, I know one thing we talked about. He was a devotee of big band music. He was a huge Benny Goodman fan, and um, awesome and, and loved music and big band music, which I love as well. And and uh, but you know Johnny was in, always fun to travel with. You never knew what was going to come out. And uh, or, oh, oh, he was he was a piece of work without question.
1: How's he not but, in the hall, Bob?
2: Um, I, I, I'm, I'm that's, it's, it's ridiculous. Right? I mean, it's, he has
1: the most iconic
2: call, arguably, in all, I, I arguably it's in all it's, sports. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, he, he and Chick, you know, Chick's in, Chick. and, and he should be, and Johnny should be there. They should have gone in like bird and magic. They should have gone mm-hmm. in together because they were, they were, you know, opposite coast icons of, of a totally different type. Chick Hearn was the most ruthlessly nonpartisan, honest, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> announcer, uh, and Johnny was as... He gave Homerism a, 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 a bad name, you know? <laughs> an even worse name. But you know, he was the most loyal Homer you could ever imagine. Chick was the most brute. I remember once here Chick, I'm driving up the coast uh, uh, and one night and, and LA, uh, out of L.A. And, and and they're playing, and this is when they weren't one of their better teams, and 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 they, they botched an inbounds play, and says, "I told you all year, this team can't pass the ball." Blah, 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 blah. You know, and he's uh, and he's like a vice president of the team, on the payroll, but he could Chick <laughs> he could do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, these are great stories. I, uh, all right, one more, and then I'll toss it to you, Ty, and then we'll we'll let Bob go. He's busy. Bob, were you there in '92? Uh, talk about—I think it was triple overtime. It was definitely double overtime. Probably Bird's last stand. Forty-nine. He had a triple double. Forty-nine points.
2: I if would, not, uh, I'll cut this out. No, you're talking about uh, well against the, the Blazers. Against the Blazers. Um, the uh, no. Ah, uh, because I do believe the game you're thinking of uh, was a Sunday. It was. And it was during the Final Four, and I was. Yes, it was March. At the Final mm-hmm. Four, and you know what? I can. Here's there's a story attached to everything, guys. <laughs> Stan, Stan Albeck sees me. He's there on behalf of whatever team he was with then, and sees me. He said, "Bob, Bob did you see Larry?" And he, he said, "He turned the clock back. You should have seen Larry today." He, and you know, he saw, And I said, "No, Stan, I didn't see it now, yeah. But that, I'm sure that's the game you're talking about. Of course, it the is. year before was the year when he banged his head on the floor and you know, and, yep. uh, and, and came back and, and beat him. And, and I can still hear Bob Hill after the game saying, I told him, I told our guys he's coming back, and when he does, he's coming back with guns blazing. And he did. <laughs> and he, he did. did.
1: He did. Anybody more intelligent you've ever seen play than no. Bird?
2: No, we have a check. They're on the same Havicek, level in that regard. Uh, they're, they're savants of the game. Uh, it saw things before they happened. Jo- John, and you know, and yeah, unlike unlike John, Larry, Larry did coach. And you know, Larry said I'm going to coach three years, and that's it. And he did. And nobody does keeps their promise, but he did. No. John yep. knew it was not. John would not have had sufficient patience or understanding as to the, the frailty of mortal man. Why these players couldn't understand A, B, C, and D as readily as he did, and he knew that of himself. And 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 you know, he never he never got involved in coaching. Amazing, and,
0: and and Hondo probably would not have taken lack of effort by today's athlete. I assume. Oh my
2: God! No, but you know, at, at any time, no, no. John was John. John knew himself quite well. He lived his life the way he wanted to. Yeah, uh, you know, from from all uh, from that point on, uh, you know, he was very successful in various investments and in businesses, and um, you know, he got invested early by Mark McCormick when when he was you know making his his bones as a as the, the you know the great. Uh, you know, I won't say manipulator, but the great handler of stars, Nicholas, mm-hmm. and so forth, and and he got John invested in properly, and you know, John never you know, had to work at anything he didn't want to do the rest of his life, and and um, you know, died, you know, unfortunately after contracting uh, Parkinson's, which and it was a, terrible. It was not, it was not yeah, it's, it's such a ironically cruel ending, you know, for someone who was so incredibly physically
1: right like Muhammad Ali I mean it's just incredible yeah. the way God deals you your curveballs sometimes
2: yeah really and so, uh, but my last time I talked to John was in last um, December and um, it was a fun story I did with he I talked to he and Kuzi about their mutual admiration for Belichick
1: Interesting. <laughs>
2: yes and where does John Belichick few-
1: stand in Boston coaches
2: well, you know, it's got, you know, it's, it's two at the top, and, and, you know, the basketball people are going to go, you know, red and football people are going to go Belichick, and they're both going to be right. And I'm mm-hmm. going to go and say, it's a, I, 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 I'm very happy to, you know, you know have a stand, put them, give them both condos on top of the sports mount olympus here, and, and, and you know, and they can have lunch every day.
0: I have a, a, one, one question for you, uh, Bob, which is, I live out here in the Seattle area, and, of course, Bill Russell lives out on Mercer Island. Do you ever talk to him?
2: No, you know it's hard. He's hard to reach. Uh, By the Bill Russell has an op-ed piece in the Boston Globe today Ooh. about mentoring. And oh. uh, it's very eloquent and uh, about the med- You know, his 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 great involvement with the mentoring. Uh, you know, I won't call it association, but the uh, but this is what has been ca- his cause, his his primary cause for uh, several, a couple of decades. And uh, yeah, he's got an op-ed type piece in the Globe today about bridges and, you know, social responsibility for everybody, and it's really, really, really very, very powerful. But uh, no, I, w- I would love to have had a, a relationship. Uh, who wouldn't? Um, I did have one during the 80s when, when um, I was still covering and he was broadcasting, and um, we had, you know, lots of nice, very, very good chats. Uh, and then, of course, I had the great, my great memory, 1999, when we finally got around to honoring him properly in Boston, had the big mm-hmm. show of Ronnie at the Boston Garden. Um, you know, and and Wilt took a flight overnight to come from California, and uh, it was really a terrific thing. The MC, <clears throat> I hate to tell you, was Bill Cosby, but you know, we on not <laughs> I didn't remember that. Bill Cosby. Who knew? You know, but, right? Um, and and Cosby, and only see Cosby. Wilt was a good sport. He he allowed Cosby to make jokes at his expense about you know Russell beating him all the time. That could not have happened the other way around, I can assure you. But, <laughs> but uh,
0: uh,
2: anyway, in the, in the, in the run up to this, um, I was assigned to do a preview story and, and, and stuff for, for the Globe, and I was able to obtain an interview uh, dinner with Bill and his uh, then girlfriend, future wife, and a PR lady in Providence. We, we sat down there at Capitol Grill in Providence, and we, closed, we We sat there and closed that place up three hours worth, of, and he was in high. High, high humor uh, with uh, cackling—that famous cackle of his—and <laughs> uh, uh, telling stories and giving me the best stuff I could get, and I, it was terrific. I'll, I'll remember that night, you know, as long as I live. It was a, it was a great honor to be uh, to have anything to do with him.
1: Ty, I'm going to do it. I'm going to name three names, Bob. I just want you to react to them. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to start with uh, uh, maybe uh, Rudy Tomjanovich.
2: Oh, thanks, shot. Yep, Bank shot. Not, the the yep. longest, the greatest long-range banker. Uh, the two great bankers, uh, or three of our t- of, of the last 40 years, were um, Sam Jones, and um, him and Duncan, and Duncan. but but Sam was a mid-range banker, and Duncan was a turnaround off-the-box banker, and Rudy was a bombardier banker. I mean, threes you're talking threes, if, you, if if necessary. Greatest banker, really, because of that, probably ever. Also, wonderfully nice guy. I would, uh, he, he coached that ill-fated USA team in 98 yeah. in the World Championships yeah. when the NBA was on strike and they couldn't send all the right players. And he had a team of college guys and, and, and CBA guys and, and stuff. And, and uh, they wound up losing in the semis to Russia. Uh, painful game, I'll never forget it. But, but um, Rudy was the coach of that team. And then, they, he, thank God, they, they gave him the honor of being able to coach a real team down the road. But uh, um, like everybody that knows him, we're very fond of Rudy.
1: Who 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 did he get in the fight with? That-
2: oh, that was the, that was you know that was the um, he was Kermit Washington, and that's another story. Kermit, Kermit Washington, you know, right and that, right that, right of course John read John Feinstein's book. That's all you need to right. you know,
1: you know. Yep. Okay. Uh, infamous two names: Curtis Rowe, Sidney Wicks.
2: Uh, you know, college. First of all, I was a huge Sidney Wicks fan in college. I think he's one of, at the time that he came out of UCLA. I thought he was one of the fifteen best college players of all time. And his rookie year, he averaged twenty. Some punch a game, and he's one of the few players in history. He went down every year. Every year he went down, and the first seven years of his career. Um, he I don't know. It was something he didn't want to, uh, it just it was something of contrary about him. Uh, Roe, Ro, when we got here, you know, Roe was a, a, a cynic, a hardened cynic. Uh, supposedly he's the guy that, that cautioned uh, Maxwell, uh, who was com- lamenting a loss at some point, and famously, allegedly, yeah. famously said, yeah, Kids, don't worry about it. They don't like, put the W's and L's on the paycheck.
1: Yeah. And uh, You know, <laughs> and he, was indif- he was
2: highly indifferent here. Wicks did not endure himself to the crowd. He was not a hustler. He was the anti-hustle. Uh, he Heinsen just wanted them to go out and rebound and play defense. Got it, and he didn't want to play in that role. And, uh, you know, they were very uh, – and, and, of course, he only came here after the famous um, – um, Swap with you know with the Buffalo Braves who became the San Diego uh, Clippers and and uh, who uh, uh, and I said he was the he came later on as part of repara- I call it like reparations like you know Germany <laughs> yeah sure, yeah. And, uh, yeah but anyway not finally remembered here uh, that's uh, for sure Bob I
0: was, uh, I was I was I was telling Nick I said I wish I I wish I could go back in a time machine and send Kyrie Irving to play for John well, Y Brown
1: <laughs> that was my third wait a minute Ty you just screwed me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Rowan Wicks are one person. They're both the devil. So, yeah. third is Kyrie Irving.
2: Right, my theory on Kyrie is that he will—he's uh, now entering his third team. Third of yep. it will be at least four or five, and each team, as has already happened after he departs, will say, "Wow, we couldn't figure that guy out." <laughs> that, that's A. B. Uh, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know he he speaks uh, very. Uh, uh, sounds eloquent and at the end of it, you say, what did he just say? What, 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 what? <laughs> exactly. and, and B, and then C is, he, he, you know, he, I'll, I'll preface C by saying he has yet to this moment ever categorically stated why he left Cleveland. We, we assume mm-hmm. we know, but, mm-hmm. but he never has said it. And, mm-hmm. and say it. Say, I wanted my own show. Say mm-hmm. it. He won't say mm-hmm. it. Okay. I, he's searching. Now he's searching. He didn't get what he wanted here. He's searching for something. I don't think he even knows what it is. That's my armchair psychology. Well, I'm and I to two words that. of advice for the Nets, for the management, the coaching staff, the teammates, and the fans. Two words. Caveat emptor. Fire beware.
1: <laughs> 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 I agree. I agree. i never been around a player that exuded... More tension. There's. No, I've never been in a more tense locker room. I haven't obviously been in nearly as many mm-hmm. as you. But that locker room, you'd walk in there, and he was in a bad mood, and it would just be the the air and would be thick. Let
2: me say, he is enormously gifted, and he is a oh yes, sure at the rim as any sub six five guy has ever been.
1: You know, well, the and that
2: includes Isaiah. It includes anyone you want to name. Um, either or both, Isaiah's. isaiah right. Right. He was been Because the little guy's incredible, too. Mm-hmm. What, what it was that year in Boston. But, but his finishing, oh, he's a trend. He's an awesome talent. But there's more than talent that goes into it, as we all know.
0: Ty, all you. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm out. Uh, Bob, you've been very gracious with your time. This, is, this has been amazing. Uh, we could talk for, to you for hours yeah, and hours and hours. Ty, if
1: you weren't going to cut this, I would have just stayed on the phone.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <Until> three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I and let them talk. We, can have part, we can have part. two sometime. That would be nice.
1: I would just say names and let them react. That that's what I want to do because okay. uh, I don't think there's anybody that you don't have a reaction to. It's uh, <laughs> it's all great stuff. Well,
2: I like as I like to say, and I know how incredibly awfully pretentious this sounds, but but you, you know, facts, facts, You know, I I've seen every great player in the last sixty years, mm-hmm. and. and uh you know i mean uh, until you know the the, the latest couple of high school seniors i'll, I'll uh are uh, fine but you know what i'm saying i mean i go mm-hmm. back to can literally saying i mean i saw koozie and uh, yes i saw mike in on tv i can remember incredible. watching the, the minneapolis lakers against the syracuse nats on tv and uh on a game of the week and all that you know I said, yeah i've been fortunate incredibly i've been very 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 fortunate i was born the same year the nba i used to kid about that you know i, I, I have I literally grown up at the nba <laughs> Well,
1: we're, we're really fortunate to have you man i mean every time i run into you I try to pull you to the side just for one story, and and uh, today you gave us how many? Ty about thirty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we didn't help. We were all over the map. Yeah, but yeah, but you have to be when you're talking to the encyclopedia. I mean, come on. You well, know, you don't. You don't need the glossary.
2: It's funny because when I got into this, I was a college guy, and my MBA interest was was, eh, cursory. You know, I was mm-hmm. a co- I was born and bred. Uh, on, right? on college, my two foundation sports growing up in Trenton, New Jersey were Major League Baseball and and, and uh, college basketball, and and then at BC, yeah, uh, you know, I, I went to Celtic games with my friends because oh my God, it was the Celtics, you had to go and you went, but I didn't root for them. I I, rooted, I was staunchly against them, rooting for Philadelphia, and uh, and I really wasn't. You know, I needed to learn. That's why my I was so lucky when I started covering that uh, Tommy Heinsohn was a rookie coach and and he was cultivating the the most representative of the most important media outlet in New England, which, of course, was the Boston Globe, and Mm -hmm. I was in need of learning the ins and outs of the NBA, the nuances to that, uh, and um, between what I learned from him and what I learned from those veterans, such as how, imagine this, breaking in, 23 years old, loving the game, eager, you know, to learn, and and you got his professors, Halvacek, Sanders, and Nelson. That's not bad. Oh, man,
0: God.
2: And then Cowens comes the next year, and, and um, suddenly I'm older than this guy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's all right away. But, uh, boy, it was incredibly fertile and, and, and bountiful time for me.
1: Well, Bob, thank you so much, man. I will talk to you soon. And uh, this was a treat. Well, thank and, you. And uh, we'll do a part two for sure. That sounds great, guys. Okay. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bob. I'll talk to you.
0: You're Nick, no, that's could, unbelievable. Insane. How cool was that? Yeah, it, it just doesn't get any better. If you're a, if you're a sports fan, if you're a fan of basketball, how you can't. Uh, and the man how, gets trolled constantly. I, I don't get it. And and kids, and I'm going to say the word kids, kids, as in 30 years of age and down. Why don't you do some homework? Yep. And read up on this guy. Yep. No one, yep. no one brings the context. Like Bob Ryan.
1: No. And uh, honestly, we're naming names off the cuff. Like, you could name the 12th man on any roster through any of those decades, and you'd probably have a story for it.
0: Oh, it, it's never-ending. That was the whole thing, Nick, is we could have sat here and gone on and on and on. We could have done—we should have had a telethon, right? We could have raised money. We could have been for sure. so long for talking sure. to him about the NBA, the ABA, and— if you don't know who Bob Ryan is, well, first of all, you're in a cave. Yep. But 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 second of all, he's not the you know he's not just a PTI guy. No. Right. Have he's some. Respect, go back. <laughs> learn yep. about him. Well, that Read a goes. Book. Back, yeah. Correct, and that goes back to young Celtic fans, and I've preached this since I've been part of CLNS for our younger audience. Learn about the history; it's amazing.
1: Well, and I think Ty, and you know, let's say. Something. To, to me that that was the biggest fear in this entire Kyrie Irving experiment was that he was going to the culture has, had just resurrected with KG and and uh Kyrie was going to smash that down and make Boston a you know an undesirable um destination right. again and and thankfully we you know the Celtics have best GM in the NBA and and they rebounded with Kemba pretty damn quick. So it was like he didn't miss a beat in regards to at least PR-wise. But it did bring out – you know, I've been busting you for I don't even know how many years for for getting into it with social media followers, It would be Facebook or Twitter. But this <laughs> Kyrie Irving, uh, after February, I just couldn't take it because it did bring to my attention how many fans are – uh, oh, they could destroy me on a spreadsheet as far as data goes with players, but they just really don't have a clue. Um, they're more interested in in players than teams, and and to me that's not good. And if we had time, I would have uh, run it by Bob as well. I mean, I, it's like I, I was on a show yesterday, Ty, and I said I've never done heroin, but I would imagine that's how it is because free agency this year couldn't have been more fun for the first. You know, a couple hours, and since then, it was a little bit fun the other day too when when uh, Kawhi punked LeBron. Although I would have rather Kawhi stay and defend his title, but uh, you know, it's never more evident that you know, with the, the new influx of fans that came with Kyrie, that you know, the team, the franchise, the whole, the culture, and the history, they just don't matter anymore, and all it does is the flash and the sensationalism uh, and the, bo- you know, the box score. They, they which sir- half of these fans don't know how to read a box score.
0: Yeah, they, they certainly didn't matter to Kyrie, right? The history. No. Uh, and uh, it makes me very angry that he shot that bullshit commercial.
1: Ah, uh, well, that's... Talking the, about uh, his
0: banner up there. Don't use celtic tradition as a friggin' punchline.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, I'll tell you this. I think it annoyed me just as much that at six... with 59 seconds on the trade deadline. I know he had a fully produced video to Brooklyn, which, you know, not only is it fraudulent, but it it just proves they were tampering, which is, again, a complete disregard for for the game if you're going to tamper to that extent. I mean, tampering always goes on, and I realize that. But when you're – people don't remember, Danny Ainge got fined for tampering for speaking to – Kevin Durant's mother in 2006. <laughs> I mean, and it was at like it was at like a college game, you know, who knows what he even said, but yeah. you have audio and videotape and and on social media proof that these guys were tampering. You have evidence from the Lakers about Anthony Davis and the Pelicans about how Rich Paul and all the agents and all, and yet he's still in Los Angeles. So I could go on and on and sound like an old man, but it's like a heroin fix, dude. I, I think, uh, you know, you're going to see high ratings, but you look at a team like Charlotte, and if I'm Michael Jordan, I mean, I know he's notoriously cheap, but I ain't paying anybody the max in that city, you know, the super I'm, I'm not paying no. that. They'll never recoup that money, and they'll, that player is in purgatory for the rest of their lives because the NBA— since David Stern has left, no longer support small market teams. They support players. You know, uh, Bob said something interesting. Ty, six games and six nights in three different cities. And the commissioner today has the nerve to say that NBA players just aren't happy. You know, I mean, back then they were playing quadruple headers, you know, back to back to back to back to back to back to backs. They weren't making nearly the money. There was no free agency. There was no player, um, you know, power or latitude. No. Today, and uh, and today, NBA players just aren't happy. I I I don't get it. I never will. I know that as long as we're blessed to have guys like Bob and Jackie and even to a certain miserable extent Shaughnessy, uh, you're going. (laughs) to a miserable extent who by the way loves it i was just talking to somebody in the media or a fan the other day and uh they said they ran into him outside fenway they walked right up to shaughnessy and said oh man dan it's really nice to meet you i gotta tell you just how much i hate you and shaughnessy said thank you (laughs) so he embraces it but you look at dan as smug as he is he's got great, great knowledge of, of the game and, and, and the past. And we're lucky to have these people because that's all that's left as the, the players you know, and the coaches continue to go and the media continues to move forward with the national coverage of sensationalistic nonsense. And I could keep going and going. Yeah, I'm not okay. going to do it
0: or else. Well, we're going to do it again. We're going to do part two with Bob Ryan. Do. Part soon. two. Yeah, part two. We're going to do we're it with at. Bob Bob soon. And maybe we'll be a little more focused because we were all over the place, but it was fun. Can't
1: be focused. Well, Bob Ryan, how could, if you have 20 minutes with Bob Ryan, dude, I know I see him a lot, right? It always is the same conversation. I watch him until he's alone. And then, and I make eye contact, give him the head nod and I come right over. We start talking about Kareem or (laughs) or about, you know, bird or Kayla Cowens is his favorite you know, I wanted to bring up 83. People forget Dave Cowens was on that Bucks roster yes. that, that swept the Celtics.
0: Well, I got to talk about two things with him. One, Dave Cowens, who is one of my you, all-time favorite, favorite Celtics. And as, Havlicek. You know, yep. And, and have Havlicek as well. And two, we got to talk about Game 5 of the 76 finals, the Suns and Celtics, which to me, arguably, the greatest sporting event of all time. Yes, I said it. Uh, yeah. it, it, it had everything, right? It had drama. It had an you know, the, the the heavy underdog playing the ch- – it just – it had all the elements of a great movie. And and Bob got to witness that, and we got to talk about that. And I've always wanted to talk to Bob Ryan about that Sun-Celtics game, oh, those many years ago. What, 53 years ago? No, That's 43 incredible. years ago. 43, 43
1: years. <laughs> Let's not make me any <laughs> no, older. I'm, I'm, I'm going go older. But, Ty, uh, you know, you think about that. It still resonated. I mean, 76 was uh, obviously Glenn McDonald. Eighty-seven, they compared Darren Day's, uh, I think it was against the Bucs, performance off the bench as Glenn McDonald. 2008, P.J. Brown, who did they compare him to in in game, uh, what game was it? Six, I think. Yeah. Or no, against the Cavs. Against the Cavs. It was game seven. That was one of my all-time favorites, Uh Chad, because you had the Glenn McDonald moment with P.J., and then there was nothing better. I shed a tear when Paul Pierce went to the line and that ball hit the back of the rim, went all the way up in the air, came back down and went in. And that's what kind of sealed the game. And after the game, Pierce said that was red. That tapped the ball in
0: just like uh, what Don Nelson in 69 LA, yep. right? The ball hits the back of the rim, goes straight up and comes uh, right back down as the Celtics upset the Lakers in 69 when LA thought they were going to, that was the last title of that was the great uh, Russell teams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so I have one other one for you. Uh, Gerald Henderson in 84, yep. stealing the yep. ball, right? Stole
1: the ball, yep, yep, yep. I yeah. mean, that's the thing with most. You got Bird stole the ball, Henderson stole the ball, Havlicek stole the ball. <laughs> I mean, you have three of the most iconic, at least in basketball, Havlicek stole the ball is usually in a highlight clip yeah. for any sports, you know, multi-sports show. And yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. I just that don't makes, get that. Makes
0: no sense. Nobody None has whatsoever.
1: an answer. I ask everybody that question. Well, how is Johnny Most not in the Hall of Fame?
0: <laughs> how know? is that possible? Some of the, gra- the the most iconic calls in basketball history. Well, Nick, you and I can go on forever. We so sure could wrap this up. Let's wrap, wrap this Garden Report up.
1: Yeah, man. I'm sure everybody's going to be pissed at us because we talked about prior to 2015. So, if you have, if you want to tell me off, I'm CLNS underscore Nick, and he's koog coog
0: 88 you know what they'd be telling us off if we were talking about yesterday's news right because these guys yes. have the attention spans of a three-year-old
1: it's uh it, it is and we could go on and on so let's just stop <laughs> stop now but <laughs> it's real pleasure dick <laughs>